0: Ramble. I'm the type of person who's hyper aware of what I put in my body. I have a lot of food intolerances, and it feels like every year I discover new ones. If you have allergies or IBS, or you choose to avoid certain foods for personal reasons, you know the food FOMO is real, and it's just not fun. A month ago, we went to Jeju Island, which is famous for pork, but because I'm allergic, I was just standing there watching everyone gobble up the food. And recently, I almost gave up morning coffee because I'm so sensitive to dairy these days, and black coffee just does not hit the spot. Thankfully, I found out about minor figures, and now I don't have to start my days on a bitter note. Literally, Minor Figures is an oat milk brand. They're 100% plant-based, carbon-neutral, and B Corp certified, so not only do I get to enjoy my coffee, but I don't have to worry about anything irritating my stomach. There are no stabilizers or additives, and what I love is that Minor Figures Barista Oat really helps showcase the natural characteristics of the coffee. It's not just there to carry the coffee flavor, but it enhances it. So you know how at-home coffee never hits the spot like coffee shop coffee? With Minor Figures, it does. You can really taste the coffee versus the oat milk. It's delicious. You can buy their products online at us.minorfigures.com. You can also discover fun games, music playlists, and explore their store locator to see where you can buy minor figures near you. For my listeners in Denver and New York, Minor Figures is also now available at Whole Foods. Bada bing bada Welcome to this week's main episode of Rotten Mango. I'm your host, Stephanie Sue, and we're just gonna jump right in. Amanda Knox was studying abroad. She's an American girl, but she's living the dream in italy she's got this nice quaint apartment near her university where she shares it with three other girls she's got an italian boyfriend she's exploring her dreams her life of becoming an author so one day she gets home early in the morning and she notices that the door to their apartment is wide open That's a little weird, but they live in this really busy college town. I mean, a quarter of the town's population are college students. It's not that scary. Maybe one of the girls was drunk. Maybe they forgot to lock it. I mean, the lock is pretty old, so maybe it was just a faulty situation. No matter, she's got a date with her boyfriend, her Italian boyfriend. So she rushes inside. Hey, anybody home? no response all the bedroom doors are closed she quickly grabs her stuff and heads into the bathroom she's got a shower she's got five minutes to get ready come on go time right she turns on the sink but she notices why is there blood on the handle of the sink tiny little droplets that's so weird okay well maybe one of the girls were shaving their legs and they nicked themselves that makes sense she washes her face and she's about to hop in the shower when she notices one other splotch of blood but this time it's about the size of an orange Oh, that's weird. Why is there so much blood on the bath mat? Oh, maybe one of my roommates was bleeding. Maybe they're on their period and they had gotten out of the shower and they just started menstruating, so they got blood on the bath mat. That makes sense. It's a little weird. It's just so unlike them, but it makes sense. She's about to finish toweling off after her shower when she realizes, I gotta go blow dry my hair. She goes into the other bathroom to grab the blow dryer. And when she reaches in, she notices, is that what I think that is? Is that poop? In the toilet? There's poop in the toilet. Why is there poop in the toilet? None of the girls would do that. They would flush the toilet. And she just felt this shiver run through the back of her spine. None of the girls would have done that. Somebody else must have pooped in the toilet. Why didn't they flush, though? The door was open when I got home. Maybe they pooped, but they didn't flush because they knew I was here. I would hear them flushing the toilet. I gotta get out of here. There still might be someone in here. So she rushes. She grabs all of her clothes. She grabs her things and she runs out of there and she's running to her boyfriend's place. And in three days time, both of them will be arrested for the murder of her roommate. As always, full source notes are available at rottenmango-podcast.com, but there's two really good books on this case and a documentary. The first book is written by Amanda Knox herself, Waiting to be Heard, a memoir. The thing is, before any of this took place, Amanda Knox wanted to be an author. She wanted to be a writer. So it's apparent that she has so much talent when it comes to writing. I mean, the book is so devastatingly honest, brutally real. And it's probably one of my favorite books of 2021 that I've read. There's so much transparency on how she was feeling every step of the way. I mean, certain parts of it feel almost too intimate. I felt like I was reading her diary. Trust me, if you're interested in this crazy case, which I think most people are, this is a must, must read. Even if you're not into true crime books, I typically don't even like memoirs, but this is just a whole other level. Raphael, another person involved in this case, Amanda Knox's boyfriend at the time, wrote a book as well called Honor Bound. My Journey to Hell and Back with Amanda Knox. There's a really good documentary. Well, there's a few, but I found the best to be Amanda Knox on Netflix. That one's really, really good. So with that being said, let's get into this story. I mean, I feel like this one's going to have a lot of background information, a lot of steps leading up, and I tried to cut it down as much as possible. But without knowing any of this, the crime is not going to feel as crazy. I know a lot of different like documentaries. They just breezed past it. They went straight to the crime. And when you know... All the little things that accumulated, all the little decisions that were made that resulted in this. It's kind of like that eerie feeling where if maybe Amanda Knox had 100 choices to make, it, it feels like she made 100 of them in the exact same way that it would eventually lead to this crazy situation. Like tiny little choices. Okay. Okay. So Amanda Knox's childhood, she was born and raised in Seattle in the United States. Her mom, Edda, was a math teacher and her dad, Kurt, was actually the vice president of finance for Macy's. Wow. So they were doing pretty well for themselves. I would say maybe Amanda Knox was living more of like that middle class life, even though I think that her dad made a pretty good sum of money because they got a divorce. So Mm -hmm. the parents get divorced. And when you hear a lot of stories of like this, you know, you don't really think that it's going to be amicable. You think maybe there's going to be some drama involved. But her parents are so cool. They separated when Amanda was only one years old. Amanda's mom was pregnant with another daughter on the way when they got a divorce and they made this pact that they were going to be the best co-parents ever. They bought houses two blocks away from each other so the girls could be close to both parents at the same time. They never talked shit about one another. They never showed any hatred or dislike for each other. If anything, the parents felt like they had a super professional relationship. But even with all of this, Amanda and her little sister Deanna were always a bit closer with their mom. She just... I mean, I think it had a lot to do with both parents. They remarried, but Ida just had the two of them. Whereas their biological dad went on to remarry and have two more daughters of his own in -hmm. his second marriage. So once he got the two daughters, they were kicked out of their room at their dad's house and they were forced to sleep in the playroom on like a pullout couch. It probably just wasn't as comfortable and as private as having your own room. So by the time that Amanda's 14, she just kind of stops going over to her dad's house. Yeah, they keep in touch. Yeah, they go out to eat, but it's just not that close of a relationship anymore. Mm -hmm. Besides, Amanda's dad was a bit different. He was very picky in the house. He wanted everyone to use drink coasters. You got to arrange the CDs in alphabetical order. You got to wear matching outfits when we go out. Like it was one of those houses where his mom and, you know, stepdad, they would just let them build. Build pillow forts. Just have fun. Like, let's be crazy. So growing up, Amanda's dream was becoming a writer or even a translator. She loved languages. She was bilingual. Her mom spoke German. So she spoke German with her grandparents. And oma, which means oma, uh, like mom in Korean, means grandma in German. Oh, ah, oma. So, oma, Yeah, she would speak oma. German with her oma. Which, side note, Amanda was a very interesting student in her high school. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. She was a little bit on the weirder side, but like in a good way. I think when you're in high school, weird is not good. But now after in hindsight, now that you're older, you're like, oh man, I wish I was weirder in high school. Amanda was uh, different. She was the type of kid that was learning Japanese. She would sing loudly in school. So if math class ended and she's in this busy jam-packed hallway going to English class, she would just be singing a song that was in her head. So you're thinking, well, she's going to get bullied because high schoolers are ruthless, right? But no, she had a lot of friends and they were a bit different. She felt like she had to make herself the butt of the joke to be accepted. And she did that. So a lot of people kind of gravitated towards her, regardless of how, quote, I guess, weird she might have been. Her friends all came from money. And sure, Amanda's family was doing really well, but she was always raised to work for it. The only place that she felt equal to her peers was when she was playing soccer. She was nicknamed Foxy Noxie because she was so good. She was fast like a fox and she was great at stealing the ball from the opponent. So she starts feeling the best way to become a writer. This is like near the end of high school. She's in college now. The best way to become a writer is to travel, to experience life. What am I going to write about in Seattle? Coffee? The rainy weather, like the tech bros, what am I going to write about, right? Sure, she could go to Germany. That would be the safe option. She has relatives there. Her omas there, her you know, cousins, aunts are there. But she had a dream destination in mind, Italy. She went there once on a family vacation when she was 14. She had been so obsessed with Italian culture since then that her friends would nickname her the Italian tour guide. She just knew random facts about random cities in Italy. Not even just like the big ones. Just any random city, she would tell you exactly what are the landmarks, what you have to go to see, what bus to take. Like, it was wild. So in college, she's at the University of Washington, and she signs up for a creative writing program. And you guessed it, Italy. It would be taught in Italian, So she'd have to take Italian 101 first. She would have to spend nine months in the town of Perugia for her junior year of college. Now, Perugia is the midpoint between Florence and Rome. This is kind of important later because do you guys remember the monster of Italy case (laughs) that we did? (laughs) this same freaking prosecutor works this case almost immediately after and really forks it up for everyone so it's all connected he ruined the monster of italy case allegedly don't sue me but he's gonna go on to ruin this one too like just this guy has got his fingers and everything and they're all nasty it's all grubby he taints everything and anyways back to perugia it's not as common for american students to transfer to this small quiet town i mean there is a giant university called the university of foreigners (laughs) there's also the university of perugia but it's you know when you think of americans going to italy you're thinking ah well maybe venice rome you know Mm -hmm. all of these different places so that's the part that really got to amanda she felt like she could actually be submerged in this culture then she would be ready for this writing class but first she had to get her parents to agree her mom was so stoked for her immediately told her go for it that's what you want you got this meanwhile dad's a bit worried Well, what about the extra costs? How are you gonna pay for that? Dad, Mm -hmm. I worked three jobs this past summer For this very reason I worked as a barista in the morning And then I worked for a local catering company For parties at night I trained a girl's soccer team on the weekends I saved up $3,000 So I can pay for all my food All my extra expenses Sure, I have to get housing But, you know, it it should be easy I want to live with an Italian roommate So I can practice the language And really be submerged I don't want to live on the campus For the University of Foreigners I mean, think about it. That's not really Italian culture. Mm -hmm. So she gets her dad to agree. Right before she leaves, she starts doing all these going-away dinners with those closest to her. And her best friend decided to get her a going-away present. And this is so crazy. Things like this will later catch up to bite Amanda in the butt. It's it's insane. And this is like one of those presents that I would get someone. She gets her a present, a going-away present. Here you go, Amanda. It's a small, pink, bunny-shaped vibrator. Amanda had never had one before, a vibrator. But her friend told her, use this until you meet your Italian stallion. And Amanda just thought it was hilarious. It's one of those good natured jokes. She didn't even have to get me anything. It's just, I mean, when she thinks about it, it's kind of funny. Mm -hmm. But also at the same time, maybe it makes sense. Amanda had four boyfriends up until this point. And she was this very serious dater. Like, she genuinely loves these guys. She thinks that they're the ones for her. They're going to get married and she would have sex with them. But honestly, at the end of all of it, she would end up heartbroken. So Amanda promised herself, this trip in Italy is for myself. I'm not going to get emotionally involved with any guys. Sure, if I have sex, that's fine. But that's all that's going to be. Just sex. This trip is about me. Growing myself. My Italian. Being a part of the culture. Not finding a boyfriend. That's not what I want. So the day that Amanda is packing to leave for the airport, she looks at that pink bunny vibrator. Eh, what the hell. Tosses it into her clear plastic toiletry bag. And this would end up being a very, very very bad idea. There were going to be a few legs of their trip. Okay. So Amanda and her little sister, were going to both be flying to Milan in Italy. Then they would take a train to Florence, Italy, and then they would be in town for about two to three days in Perugia to find Amanda a place to stay. Once she finds an apartment with a roommate, they were going to fly to Germany and stay there for about a month. And then Amanda's mm-hmm. classes would start around October 1st. So Amanda would get back to Italy. Meanwhile, her sister would come back to the United States. So it was okay. going to be like one of those family trips. So they get to Milan, and now they're on this train ride to Florence, and a guy starts chatting up Amanda. His name is Cristiano. Now it's clear that he's into her. Their communication wasn't great. His English wasn't good, her Italian wasn't good, but Cristiano was not giving up that easily. He pretends to miss his stop, gets off in Florence with Amanda, and he says, well, shoot. Now I have nowhere to go. The train is long gone. What hotel are you guys staring at? I guess I'll just grab a room there. What? So he gets a room in that same hotel, and he says, "Say, don't you guys want to grab a meal real quick? That's a little much, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. So they sit outside sharing a large pizza and a bottle of wine. And Diana wants to go back to her hotel room. And Cristiano convinces Amanda, let's go walk around the city. I mean, it's too beautiful to pass up, right? This is day one. Day one. (laughs) What? Yeah. I mean, when you're like 19, though, it's different. You're thinking like a 30-year-old right now. Think of like when you're 19 and you're in this new city. I mean... Of course, you're going to want to explore. So she gets up. They start walking around and he's like, I've been meaning to ask, do you like uh, how do you say in English? Smoking joints. <laughs> She's like, yeah, let's do it. So they share a joint together and they somehow end up in Cristiano's hotel room. This was going to be her first official one night stand in her whole life. I mean, a lot of her friends have had them in college. She has just been in relationship after relationship. And this is what she promised herself. So I think there's a part of Amanda that truly she just... Not that she wanted to have these one night stands, which honestly, who cares if she does? I mean, this is... This is 2021. Come on, we're woke, right? There's nothing wrong with it. But I think she was trying to prove something to herself because she's very hesitant. Mm. When she has these one night stands, she kind of doesn't want to do it, but she feels like this is the next step in being an adult. So she had just turned 20 years old. She feels mature already, like a main character in Italy, but it all comes crashing down in Cristiano's room when she realizes that neither of them have a condom. And she snaps back to reality like, wait a minute, I literally don't even know this guy. I'm kind of creeped out. So she excuses herself. All she did was like make out with the dude, goes back to her room with her sister, and she's pissed. What the hell, Amanda? I didn't know where you were. I didn't know if you were okay. Like, where have you been? Mm-hmm. So this is just one of the many things that start in their beginning of their Italy trip. The next day, the girls take the first train out to Perugia. And once they get there, it was it was a journey. They had to be dropped off from the train. Then they would be picked up by a bus. Like they would have to find a bus stop, essentially. And take that bus to their hotel in Perugia. So Amanda aunt, who lived in Germany, helped plan all of this. She got the bus tickets. She did that. She planned all the timing. You know, she booked the hotels. It was uh, easier to plan online, though. Than to actually do it. Because they were lost. They didn't know where the bus stop was. Their Italian sucked. So they're like who do we even ask? What what do we even do? When was this? It was in 2007. So they decide. Wow it's Italy. Amanda's like it's. Let's just walk. I mean it's a walkable city. Perugia. That's what I read online. And the hotel It's a small town. It's not like I'm walking from one side of Los Angeles. To the other side. It's a walkable town. And it's pretty small. Let's get to the hotel. Let's just grab our bags and walk to the hotel. This was, a, this was a bad idea. So downtown Perugia, where their hotel is, is on top of a steep hill. Steep, steep hill. It's hot. Their hotel is actually pretty far from the entry point of where they start walking. They have their luggage with him. But Amanda convinces her sister, it'll be fun. They start walking up the steep, winding road, and honestly, it was beautiful. There were cypress trees. If you guys listen to The Monster of Italy, this area of Italy, I mean, most of Italy as an American who has never been to Italy, sounds incredibly beautiful. But this area particularly is known for just having so many olive groves, terracotta houses, beautiful churches. It's one of those places where I feel like if I went, every step of the way i would just be my jaw would be dropped like do you look at that look at that and everyone's like that's just a house i'm like look at that they're like that's a public restroom you idiot I'm like it's beautiful take a picture of me take a picture of me outside that public restroom thank you so it was you know it was worth it right amanda's like it's nice huh we get to see it we get to really experience it but then out of nowhere the sidewalk ends Uh uh-oh and the only way to get to the hotel with the little map that they have was to walk on the side of the highway that didn't have a sidewalk because that's a highway. So they start their trek and it was it was horrendous. It was just all tall grass scratching their legs. They were getting bug bites all over. They were sweating, miserable, itchy. It was getting like humid. They had tears about to form and come out of their eyes. Like they were about to start crying. Deanna couldn't do it anymore. She's like, please, please. I mean, this can't be right. We got to do something. Well, it is, Diana. Like, what can we do? We just have to get through the highway. I mean, there's no going back now. It's too late. That's when a car pulls up. It's a man driving about their dad's age. And he's talking to them in Italian. They're trying to respond in English. And they're kind of like frantically yelling back and forth in two different languages. And you know, when you are trying to speak to someone who doesn't speak the same language as you. And for some dumb reason, every human does this. You just scream louder. And you think that they're gonna understand it, you go slower and louder, and you're like, yes, volume, volume changes it. Everybody is bilingual and trilingual as long as I'm screaming. That's kind of what they were doing. They're just like increasingly screaming at each other until they finally have a common ground. Both sides, the Italian man and the two American girls, they both understand Holiday Inn. Holiday Inn! Perugia, Holiday Inn! So the man takes their map. He points at his car like this car. And then he he uses his finger to go through the little roads and points at the Holiday Inn. And then, come on, you, I'll take you guys. Essentially, just with his finger gestures like right, get in the car. I'll drive you to the Holiday Inn. And uh, Amanda gladly jumps in. Not a thought, okay? She just, she just, and she talks about it this in her memoir, okay? She's 19 or she just turned 20. She's living her best life. And I don't know why. Maybe it's like this misconception of going to different countries. You feel like crime doesn't exist there and crime only exists in the country that you reside in. So she, she jumps in. She gets into the front, her sister's in the back, and she's saying, Grazie, grazie, you know, which means thank you. And even though up until this point, The girls had literally faced so many potentially life-threatening, dangerous situations. This guy was not a serial killer. He's not a rapist or a murderer, nor was he the monster of Florence, which he could have very well been. He dropped them off safely at the hotel. And when he waved by, he asked Amanda out on a date. And she said no, and he politely chuckled, you know, like a man's got to try, right? And he drove off. So they really got lucky. Like this guy was a nice person, but Mm -hmm. things were not looking good for them. They had to find Amanda an apartment ASAP. They only had like uh, the rest of the day. That was it. They had to go to Germany. And if she didn't find an apartment, then she would get back. School would be starting. She would have nowhere to be. And it's harder to find an apartment, like, right when school starts. So they go to a little coffee shop. They order um, a mocha, which honestly took forever trying to explain to the barista what a mocha was. They were like, okay, so you put this and this and there, and everybody was giggling because it was just a shit show. They went through the ads in the local newspaper for apartments to rent, and there was nothing in their location or their budget. And Amanda kept thinking, listen, I'm not superstitious, but... Is all of this a sign of how my year in Italy is going to go? Because I'm kicking it off with some really crappy luck. Sure, a lot of it is like decisions that she made, but it's just not going well. So Amanda makes it over to the school. She's got a bunch of newspapers in her arms like, God, I'm not going to find a place. Her sister's sweating. She's upset. And uh, they're looking to see if maybe the school knows anybody who's renting an apartment. And she sees this girl, a brunette, Look to be about Amanda's age and she's taping a bunch of little like flyers onto a bulletin board. Well, I'm already desperate. It doesn't hurt to ask. Excuse me. And she said it in English. Mm-hmm. Do you have an apartment for lease? And she responds back in English. Yes, I do. I live with my best friend and we are renting out two rooms in our place. That's it's, crazy. Yeah, it's just right down there. Do you want to see it? So she's like, yes, I want to see it. The girl's wow. name was Laura Mazzetti, and she spoke English. And honestly, she was a very good-natured person. Amanda liked her immediately. She was a few years older. She wasn't a student, so she had a job. She was working, but her apartment was super close to the school. So she thought, Laura thought, it'd be easier to rent to a college student, you know, because it's so. So the girl the was Laura was there renting out the yes, apartment. Uh huh. Oh my gosh. So the sisters follow her to her place, and it was a dream. It was a cute cream-colored villa with a terracotta roof at the end of a long driveway on top of a hill. And the rest of the hill were, like, tangled. Sure, they were unkept gardens. But it was, I mean, it was beautiful. Wow. It is nothing like Seattle. It just feels like Italy. It was in the middle of downtown, literally a stone's throw away from the university. It was an aesthetic place. Everyone on TikTok would have been freaking the fork out. They would have been like, this is style. This is design. The not modern farmhouses. This, this is what we need. They'd be saying that in the comments. I mean, beautiful. So even Deanna was stoked. She said, this is too perfect. You have to get this place. So Laura explains. The top floor is our apartment. The bottom floor is actually rented by a group of male students. I believe they either go to the University of Perugia or the University of uh, Foreigners, where you're going. This is my roommate, Philomena Romanelli. Wow, these names are beautiful, and I nice suck at pronouncing things. We have four bedrooms, two baths, and a terrace. So there's two rooms up for grabs. The cost is the same per room. It's about 400 a month, which is a bit expensive. But Amanda made sense of it. It was literally so picturesque. It's it's her dream. This is right next to the school. She really liked Laura. They smoked a joint together. They were hitting it off. They both like yoga. They both play the guitar. Laura offered her to use the guitar because she didn't bring it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. I'll take it. Oh, okay. Uh, Which one? There's two rooms up for grabs. They're the same price. Mm -hmm. So one of the rooms was a much bigger one, and it had a better view. But the other one was smaller, and it had a tiny view of the hill. And she chose the tiny one. She just felt like it was more cozy. What? Yeah. Feels cozier. Are you sure? There's less of a view. Yes, positive. I will deposit money tomorrow. And Amanda gets an email from the girls later that day that another roommate will be moving in. A British exchange student by the name of Meredith Kircher. She's quiet. She's nice. She's from London. She's already made a ton of friends with the British exchange students. Very beautiful. Hurry and come back. Let's get the party started. So things are looking up, right? I mean, sure, it all started off bad, but now she has this great apartment, these new friends, and then she looks into the mirror, and that's when she sees it, a giant cold sore. Oral herpes from Cristiano from the train. And she was so upset. She said, and I quote, I couldn't believe this was the first wild thing I'd done in my entire life, and bam, I make an impulsive decision, and now I have to pay with a lifelong consequence. So she's thinking, okay, okay, that's fine, though. Maybe this will be the worst thing that happens. (laughs) How can it get worse from here? I mean, think about it. This is pretty bad. When you're 20, this is, you can really dramatize it in your head as this is the end of the world. But Amanda's going to be strong. She can handle it. She can handle anything in Italy at this point now. I mean, she's gotten all the bad luck out of the way, right? She had no idea that soon she was going to be arrested for the murder of her own roommate. So after moving into the new apartment, Dana is uh, gone. So now it's just Amanda in Italy now. And Amanda had literally just met Meredith, the British exchange student, and she could see why the other girls love her so much. She was just so relatable. She had divorced parents, too. They were only a year apart in age, Amanda and Meredith. And Amanda was shocked to find out that Meredith was not at the University of Foreigners, but rather at the University of Perugia. And she was like, wow, I mean, that's kind of cool. And Meredith's like, come out with me tonight. I want you to meet my friends. Let's go. So during Amanda's first month in Italy, she spent it mainly with Meredith. So the two other girls, Laura and Philomena, I mean, they were working. They were a little bit older, so they had like their their work schedules. These two girls, they were getting along because they didn't know Italian. They knew English. They were trying to learn Italian. They don't really know this area. They're they're fascinated by every little thing whereas right. the other two girls are probably not. So they hang out practically Every day. I mean, they knew a lot about each other. Meredith opened up about the fact that she wanted to be a journalist, just like her dad. Her mom was really sick. And that's why she carries around two phones. So when she got to Italy, just like the rest of the girls, she had an Italian local phone, Mm -hmm. right? To make local calls to, you know, Amanda, her teachers, or anybody nearby. And she kept her British phone roaming. So if something happened to her mom, who was very sick, she could get an immediate call. And she was just terrified. What if something happens while I'm in Italy? They spend practically every lunch together. So Italy loves slow, relaxed lunches at home. So most schools and shops, they just close for like hours at a day. Just in the middle of the day. You know how sometimes uh, random stores in the U.S. will close from like 12 to 1 because everyone's on lunch break. It's like 12 to 3. Everybody's just closed. Nothing is open. They would eat lunch, watch Italian soap operas, and with the extra time, Meredith would read mystery novels, and Amanda loved to play the guitar. Sometimes Amanda would even sneak off to visit the coffee shop that she took her sister to on the first day they arrived, and there was a new barista by the name of Mirko. So they start flirting here and there and eventually it seems like Amanda is enjoying coffee a lot more She's becoming a coffee addict and she thought well Maybe something's happening and he asks Amanda. I thought of a place you'd really like for pizza She's like sure. Let's go sometime. How about today? I get off at 5. So she walks out of there shaking She's like oh my god. Seriously. This is crazy. Mirko's so nice He's so down-to-earth and now we're going on a date today. She gets ready they head to the pizza shop it's jam-packed everybody's waiting for a table there's a line at the door and he says do you want to eat pizza at my place instead we can watch a movie so what you're telling me is every guy no matter what country they're in are the same he's like you want to watch movie in my bed and she's like uh, I kind of know what this means he probably is gonna try to have sex with me tonight do I want to do that I'm in Italy right I'm supposed to be like this mature person okay sure so they head back to Marco's place, and Amanda tries to get to know him over dinner. So where do you go to school? And he's just like, yeah, 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 so what kind of movie you want to watch? <laughs> and of course, the TV is in his bedroom, so this is the only place that they can watch it from. It's his bed. You know, you're not going to sit on the floor in front of the bed and, like, break your neck to watch TV, He's like, here, it's cold. Just get under my blanket. They watch the entire movie in silence. And Amanda's freaking out the whole time. She doesn't know if she wants to sleep with him. I mean, not because she thinks it's immoral to have a one night stand, but because she's like traumatized. She got that uh, cold sore from Cristiano. Is this really what she wants? But he doesn't even give her the time to make up her mind. He turns off the TV and starts making out with her. And they do it. She said she felt exhilarated, but also really uncomfortable. And after all of that, what does this amazing man do? He looks her in her eyes. Sorry, but you have to go. (laughs) (laughs) My sister's going to be home soon. I mean, I guess I could walk you back to the University of Foreigners. And uh, I guess you can find your way home from there. What? They walk in silence. And at the end, he kisses both her cheeks. We should do that again sometime, he says. Wow, so romantic, right? Well, not really. In places like Italy, kissing on both cheeks is as cold as a handshake. It's just like a, see you later. And so she rushes home and she screams at her roommates. Oh my God, guys, like, what do I do? I slept with the barista. I don't know how I feel. It's so weird, but it was kind of fun, but also really awkward. And I don't feel fulfilled. And I feel like detached. And her her roommate's like, calm down. You're young. You're free. Don't think too much into it. Besides, he's hot so you're fine and a few days later she's like okay yeah it's just meaningless sex i can do it what the heck? This is what Italy's about. And again, like this is like the moment where Amanda keeps trying to talk herself into this. So I think she really had a vision of... You know how when we think of New York, we might think of like Gossip Girl or Sex in the City. Like just this exhilarating experience where you're just this mature person and you're living that single, free life. Mm-hmm. I think that's that was her vision of Italy. So mm-hmm. she's like trying to force it to happen. So she heads back to Marco's place. No pizza this time. Just sex and... Uh, she briefly had a moment of like a full on freak out and she ran out of there oh. before they can even have sex. She was like, I got to go. She was so embarrassed. She never went back to the cafe and she confided in Meredith. Meredith, what do I do? I feel like such an idiot. And she comforted her and said, listen, maybe uninvolved sex just isn't for you. And that's OK. Besides, there's other things we could do. There's other things that we can have fun with. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy And book your free consult today. So there was something called the Euro Chocolate Festival. It would be held downtown. Nearly 1 million tourists will come just for the Euro Chocolate Festival. It's street performances, chocolate tastings. But people will also have a giant refrigerator-sized chunk of just full chocolate. And these artists will start sculpting things out of the chocolate. Mm. And those chocolate shavings that they're shaving away, assistants will grab them and throw them into the crowd. And you just get free chocolate uh-huh. sometimes in the beginning though they cut off giant blocks like three pound blocks of chocolate because You know, you got to get to the sculpture somehow. And that is when Amanda was in the crowd. And a lot of the people were like, nope, don't throw that giant block of chocolate on me. That's going to hurt. It's going to hurt like a brick. But Amanda was like, me, 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 give it to me. So she reaches for it. She escapes from the crowd, runs all the way home before it melted all over her shirt. It's not even in a bag. It's just a chunk of chocolate. She slams it down on the dining table and her roommates are looking at her. They're looking at the chocolate and she goes, voila. And the girls made cookies out of it. Very cute, no? The girls hung out with the guys downstairs. They were all very nice, very chill. They got along. They would all get together and smoke weed. Amanda had never rolled a joint before or even procured weed for herself. Like, she never bought drugs from a drug dealer before. She just did it socially. Like, yes, she would pay whoever had the weed, but she never necessarily bought it herself. So one night, she's trying to roll a joint. Everyone's like, come on, Amanda, you got this. Don't be such a weenie. Roll the joint. These are lessons you need to learn in life. Her roommates are giving her the directions, but it wasn't good. At the end of it, everyone gave her a pitiful round of applause. You ruined the weed, but it's fine. We have more. And uh, she took a very dramatic picture. One of the roommates, Laura or Philomena, had taken a picture of her posing with her very first joint that she had ever rolled. And she posed with it as if it were a cigarette. And she pouted like kind of like a sexy pinup girl. This photo would later essentially go viral. And Amanda would be thought of as just this sexual sex pot smoking girl in Italy. You're like, how is she doing so much? Doesn't she have school? And yes, Amanda was really passionate. She always worked hard in school. Her classes, though, were two hours a day, five days a week, and her professors did not give homework. (laughs) Yeah, I guess, I don't know. Maybe it's the Italian way. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's just the school. Maybe she didn't load up on a lot of courses. But Amanda took it upon herself to study more outside of school. She honestly did have a lot more free time than she thought she would. So she asked Laura, do you know any part-time jobs I can do? Just because I have all this time. She gets introduced to a guy named Patrick, who is essentially a club owner. And he tells her, okay, it's straightforward. I give you flyers. You hand them out at school. You invite your classmates to come to Le Chic, my bar. You keep asking them. Ask them until they make it there. You drag them there. Around 9 p.m., you come to the bar, help us get ready, and then you go into town. You hand out more flyers for all of the college students that are probably downtown. Just walking by, they're bar hopping, tell them to come to Le Chic. When you're done with that, the club should be packed. Yes, if you're doing your job right. Once the club is packed, you come, you help us get the drinks, you stock the snacks, you make sure everybody's having a good time. If you see customers leaving, you better go back out and get more customers. The hours are 9 to 1 a.m., and the pay is about $7.25 an hour. Handing out flyers at school does not count as work, so you will not be constipated. (laughs) You will not be compensated, okay? (laughs) You will be constipated for sure, though. (laughs) And the job is hard. Amanda was exhausted. She had to keep drunk people well drunk She had to make sure everybody is having a good time make sure nobody's drink ran out and it was a lot all in the wee hours of the night and she's not even great at Italian and imagine how vulnerable you feel out in the middle of like a downtown busy street there's drunk people in groups and hordes and you have to approach them and say do you want to come to a club? Most of the clientele right now were older men, which were friends of the owner. And La Chique itself wasn't a dangerous place, but it could have easily well been. I think Amanda States, looking back, she was naive about a lot of things. She was taken by the glamour of being out of the country, of being in a place like Italy. But what she didn't know is that Perugia has the highest concentration of heroin addicts in Italy. There are high rates of trafficking and drug use. Oh, man. So, you know, there were some warning signs that there was definitely some crime going on or dangerous things taking place, but Amanda didn't want to psych herself out. Besides, Amanda and Meredith, they always had a plan. When they get home and the other one is not home, you just text them and say, hey, I got in safely for the night. So one night, when Les Chic was super slow, Amanda's boss told her that he was going to close early. She's like, okay, sounds good. Uh, she texts Meredith, why don't you meet me downtown? I got off early tonight, maybe we can have some fun. Near the fountain, meet me near the fountain. The night's still young. So they made up near the fountain, and the center is just filled with drunk students, and they even run into two of their downstairs neighbor, Gia and uh, Marco. So they were drinking beers and they want to introduce the girls to another friend of theirs. He moved to Italy as a kid. His name is Rudy. Oh, we play basketball with Rudy. Rudy, meet the girls. Rudy, this is Meredith. Rudy, this is Amanda. So the five of them are talking for a while and they decide, let's just all walk back to our place. Do you girls want to come downstairs and maybe smoke some weed, smoke a joint? Uh, Sure, but we got to put our stuff away. Like we have our purses and our work stuff. So we'll just head upstairs and then when we're ready, we'll come downstairs. Sounds good. So Amanda and Meredith, they head upstairs and Amanda was ready first. She said, are you ready to go? Uh, you go downstairs. I'll just meet you down there. I just need a second. Okay, sounds good. When she opens the door to the downstairs apartment, she sees three guys giggling, sitting around the table. The three guys that she had just walked back with and the new friend, Rudy, that she had just met. And she said, what's so funny? Why are you guys laughing? Oh, nothing. October 25th. Rolls around. There was a classical music concert at the University of Foreigners. There would be tens of thousands of people coming from all over the world in attendance. Most of them being old people like most of them in their 50s or 60s and that's not old but you know when you're in college that's kind of old old men in their 50s typically rafael solicito and amanda knox were two of the very few young people at the concert so let's talk about rafael solicito he was born in a pretty successful household his dad was a urologist and he was the type of dad that was difficult to say no to He always pushed Raphael to do better. And a few years ago, in 2005, Raphael's mom died suddenly, right after a divorce. So some people suspected that she had killed herself, but Raphael was adamant that she didn't she would never do that her heart was bad and it just gave out it was it was horrible for raphael they were super close and he misses her every single day so when raphael is about to graduate with a computer science degree from the university of perugia his dad is pushing him instead of your dream of designing video games you need to apply for a nine-month internship at the university in milan you need to come back home so his dad is living in milan he's like you need to come to milan so he's feeling all of that pressure and he decides you know I gotta just let loose at this classical music concert. So he ends up going and he sees a girl across the room. And she was one of the only few young people there. And she looked happy to be there, like she wasn't dragged there. And he's intrigued. And he was immediately taken without even just saying a word to her. She was pretty, beautiful. She had this long hair, blondish brown hair, and those eyes, he said, those eyes were just so striking. Normally, he's too shy to approach girls like this, but he just, you know, he's about to graduate. Life is short. He's going to Milan. I mean, if it sucks, it's not like he has to live with the embarrassment. So he introduces himself in Italian. The beautiful girl responds, oh, I'm Amanda. He says, oh, shit, she's American. OK, let me speak English. Sorry, like I speak English too. Amanda. I'm Raphael. And she says, oh, sorry, my Italian isn't very good. I just got here. Well, no problem. Where are from America, Seattle. you know Seattle Seattle of course I'm a computer scientist Seattle for us is like the center of everything of course I've heard of Seattle so they sit next to each other for the rest of the concert Raphael said it was love (laughs) He said he could even pinpoint the moment he fell in love He said it's like one of those things You don't know this person You don't even speak the same language But somehow you feel connected to them Like they're a kindred spirit You find yourself locking eyes Exchanging smiles And you feel this instant connection And it's like a lightning bolt And that's what he felt with Amanda It sounds dramatic But Raphael is a very romantic guy Now the question is Does Amanda feel the same? Yes Okay (laughs) <laughs> he said, oh, she said man this dude is so annoying <laughs> <laughs> he just won't leave me alone why does he keep looking at me <laughs> oh my god we just made eye contact yeah. <laughs> <was> so awkward <laughs> turned out this is to show you yeah <laughs> <laughs> so raphael said he was waiting for someone to take his breath away his friends always teased him i've never met a guy who goes to college leaves home a virgin comes back a virgin I mean, what's wrong with you, Raphael? But after the concert, he quickly jumps at the chance to ask her on a date. And it was a magical one. He picked her up from work after she gets off and they went on a stroll afterwards. They had their first kiss under their stars. This is what Amanda had to say about their first kiss. It wasn't an electric first kiss. That bound us together. It was gentle and soft, comforting and reassuring. Even after the kiss, we hugged for a really long time. And it was the most comforting, warm hug that I had experienced since I hugged my family goodbye in Seattle. That's nice. And uh, Raphael said, I asked Amanda if she wanted me to take her home or if she wanted to come back to my place to watch a movie and smoke some weed. And she accepted my invitation, which I was shocked because I was just shooting my shot. I didn't think that she would say yes, but she said, "Okay, I can come to your house. And he was just so shocked. You really like me? You're not afraid of me. Like, how can you even trust me? We just met. And she grabbed his hand, held it in hers and smiled and said, I don't know, but I trust you. And he said that was the moment that lightning struck him and his heart melted and he fell in love. She just seemed like this genuine, wholesome, trusting person. So he had heard a lot of like, you know, guys talking, saying, if a girl comes home with you on the first day, she's not wifey material. You get it. Like guys are like, oh, if she she sleeps with you, she's not wifey material. But Amanda wasn't like that at all. She just seemed so genuine. Just like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'll come over. Sure. And it was both ways. Amanda really liked Raphael, said that he was her type. Kind of nerdy, adorable, just really nice. Just a nice person. Someone that seemed comforting. So he lived super close to the University of Foreigners. And uh, the locals actually called this the bad zone, meaning at night a ton of drug dealers would come out and just hang out around there. But Amanda had no clue. Raphael said that he never felt it was dangerous. But regardless, they get into his one-bedroom apartment, and the plan was to watch a movie. But they didn't. Instead, they talked about their lives. They had another language in common, German. And after all that talking, eventually they had a sexual connection on his bed. And Raphael was in love, I tell you. This would be the beginning of a very passionate, long, seven-day, inseparable relationship before both of them are arrested for murder. What? And everything about this meeting was pure luck and chance, too. So Amanda had actually gone to the concert with Meredith to the classical music concert but Meredith left early on if Meredith had stayed Raphael most likely would never have approached Amanda because it's so just a lot of pressure Mm -hmm. to approach a girl in front of her friends and Raphael doesn't even approach girls when they're alone he's very shy would that have changed anything Amanda thought about that a lot she said for me maybe for Raphael probably he would never have written this book Nor would he have been thrown in prison. So the relationship continues and it's intense. They spent every single second together. Amanda says in her book that after breakfast, she would run home to shower. So at her apartment, change for class and then meet back at his apartment for lunch. And in the afternoons, you know, she studied. He edited his thesis, which he's graduating in two weeks Sometimes they would shower together and he would wash her hair, towel her dry, even clean her ears with a Q-tip. I mean, she said it was so intimate and tender. It felt, it felt almost as intimate as sex. So when Raphael finds out that Amanda doesn't have her own signature scent, he told her... Every good Italian woman has a signature scent. So he takes her to a fragrance shop and they chose one that was light and earthy, made of sandalwood. Raphael paid for it without any hesitancy. I mean, Amanda felt like she was on cloud nine. So of course, she's spending less time with Meredith. But there were no hard feelings. Meredith had started dating a guy too. A guy that lived downstairs. But she was a little bit sad. She kept telling Amanda, he's too shy. When we're around other people, like his roommates or my roommates, he won't even acknowledge." me it's so strange like i don't know what what to do with it but isn't that so strange that we started dating people at the same time it's like we're living the same lives and they'd be like yeah that's crazy i mean i can't believe we both came in here like we're not gonna date anyone in italy and then now we're dating people like what is this life amanda opened up she was worried Raphael is going back to milan after he graduates and she's going back to seattle at the end of summer like what do we do so that week halloween night was approaching now there's no trick-or-treating like in the u.s but it is a big big excuse for college students even in italy to put on costumes and go clubbing amanda was so busy with Raphael that she forgot to pick one out she made one she put on black pants a black sweater she drew on whiskers she was a black cat she said yeah i saw the irony because of the superstition associated with black cats they're bad luck oh on halloween night huh It would prove to make sense. Amanda texts Meredith, What are you doing? You want to meet up? Do you have a costume? And Meredith texted her, Yes, I have one, but I'm going to a friend's house for dinner. What are your plans? This text would later be used to try and prove something shady was going on. So anyways, Amanda gets home and she crashes in bed pretty late. The next morning, it's a quiet morning in the house. Everyone's hungover. Around 12 p.m., Amanda's in the kitchen table reading when Philomena and her boyfriend Marco, they stop in the apartment to change clothes before heading out again. This is November 1st now, right? Hey, Amanda, how are you? Where's Meredith? I'm good. I'm just waiting for Raphael to come over for lunch. Meredith is probably still asleep. The couple leave before Meredith wanders out. Ah! Meredith she's live. hey you saw vampire blood on your chin she's like yeah I couldn't get it off I was so tired I got home at five in the morning I didn't even wash my face I went to the dinner party it was amazing they had filled this surgical glove with water they froze it and they put it in the punch bowl and it just looked like this hand this ice hand was floating in the punch bowl then we went dancing at a pub what about you what did you do yeah my Halloween was lame I thought it was going to be fun, like watching everyone in their costumes, but mostly I was bored. So Raphael comes over. The two of them make pasta for lunch and Meredith does some laundry before going out to meet up with friends again. So November 1st is kind of a holiday in Europe. It's like a... it's like a big holiday, right? So it's it's a pretty lazy day. Most businesses aren't that busy. Everybody's just, you know, spending time with friends and family. Sometime around 4 to 5 p.m., the couple go to Raphael's place to hang out. They make dinner, and Raphael realizes that his sink is leaking. And he's like, damn it, there's water all over the kitchen, and I don't even have a mop. Like, I just have, like, random towels. That's okay. Like, we can just fix it tomorrow. I have a mop at my place. I'll just bring the mop tomorrow, right? She's like, I got to go to work soon. She's a little bit stressed. She doesn't like working at La chic, but she gets a text message from her boss that says, hey, slow night. It's a holiday. I'm just going to close up shop. No need to come in for your shift. So she texts him back. Okay, sounds great. See you later. Have a great night. And her and Raphael spend the rest of the night, you know, making out, watching a movie. And they even plan a road trip tomorrow through the countryside. He's like, let me take you through. Let me show you the beautiful sights of Florence. Where there's no monster. So let's do that. So that next morning, November 2nd, it was beautiful outside sunny and Raphael is sleeping in. he's exhausted. They had a late night. Amanda leaves him, walks home to take a shower and get her things so that she could head off to the road trip, right? But when she gets home, the door to their house, to their villa, is open. Strange but sometimes it did that you know the old latch it wouldn't shut correctly unless the door was like locked shut so yeah it's like you almost have to like push in the door and then lock it at the same time do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. otherwise if it's not pushed in you can do the locking motion and you can genuinely think that it's locked but the wind could just brush it open so she screams philomena laura Meredith, hello anybody home no response all the bedroom doors were closed i mean to be fair this is the morning after a holiday everyone had gone out to party and it's pretty early so amanda goes to the bathroom that she shared with meredith and she sees as she's washing her face two pea-sized droplets of blood in the sink and a smear of blood on the faucet so strange but i mean meredith might have cut herself shaving so i mean when I shave my legs in the sink, I end up cutting myself a lot more frequently for some reason than if I were in the shower. But sometimes you don't have time for a full shower, so you might shave your legs in the sink. So I think maybe she was thinking, oh, it's probably something like that. Amanda hops into the shower, and then when she gets out, she notices on the bath mat, as she's getting out, another spot of blood. But this one is the size of an orange. So she's thinking, okay, maybe, maybe it's, maybe Meredith is on her period. But okay. I, if you have your period, you might have droplets coming out while you're standing and you don't have like a tampon or a pad in, but an orange sized splotch of blood you would have to stand in that position and bleed for quite a bit of time and i know that most uh people who menstruate when they get out of the shower like they're they're rushing they're like Mm-mm, i'm not trying to spill no blood nowhere like i'm getting to the bathroom putting on a pad putting on a tampon asap so it's just unlike meredith and meredith is a very neat person if this really did happen she's not the type to just be like eh, i'll just leave it she's the type to like clean it she really doesn't like being a burden to others and it just doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Amanda was so confused. But regardless, she went about her shower routine. And uh, the next step was to go to Philomena's bathroom to grab the blow dryer. So she's blow drying her hair. Once she's done, she goes to put it back. And she notices poop. Poop in the other girl's toilet. What? She's like, what the heck? Like, none of the other girls in the apartment would ever not flush the toilet. Like, that's disgusting. Nobody would... It's just unlike them. I don't care how drunk they are. I don't care if they're smoking weed. Nobody's gonna just leave poop in the toilet bowl. Did... did someone have a friend over? Or... The door was open when I got here. Maybe it was open and a stranger came in and... Maybe they're drunk and... Maybe they p- pooped? What... What if the person is still in the house? Oh my god, I had just been showering. Like, I was literally showering. I was so vulnerable. I was naked. She felt so much panic. She hurried, grabbed her things, her purse. Somehow she remembered the mop and grabbed that too from the kitchen to bring to Raphael because, you know, his sink sink leaked the night before. And uh, she runs out the place. She runs about a block away and she slowly starts feeling less anxious. She's out in the sun. It's daytime. There's people nearby. And she's like, I was... It's so dramatic for no reason, but she was still anxious enough that she wanted to talk to somebody, but she didn't know who None of her roommates were home nor were they like picking up Well, she didn't know if they were home, but they weren't answering her. She did not want to wake them up She didn't know if she should call Raphael because he seemed like he was still asleep So she calls her mom forgetting the time difference It was the middle of the night in Seattle and her mom's like hello, Amanda. Are you okay? Hey mom, I'm on my way back to Raphael's, but I just wanted to check in. I found some strange things in my house like the door was open and there was poop in the toilet. But like, it's just weird. It's not necessarily like a break in, but it's weird, right? Okay, Amanda, call your roommates. Go tell Raphael and call me back. Okay, be safe. Oh, yeah. Good point. So Amanda calls Philomena and she says, oh, hey, you're up. Uh, I'm calling because our front door is open. Are you home? There were a few drops of blood in the bathroom and there was like poop in your toilet. And Philomena's freaking out. What? What do you mean? I didn't go home last night. I stayed at my boyfriend's house and Laura's in Rome for work. Have you talked to Meredith? No, I I called you first. Okay, well, I'm at, like, I'm kind of out of town right now. I'll try to call Meredith and go back to the house when you can. We need to see if anything was stolen because that's just weird. Okay. Amanda tries to call both of Meredith's phones, her British phone and her Italian one. Both of them went to voicemail. She gets to Raphael's and he just gets out of the shower and she tells him everything. He's like, well, yeah, I'm sure it's nothing, but why don't we have some breakfast? If you're really worried, we can walk back to your place before we leave. And honestly, he was really calming her down. Like he his reaction to the story wasn't like, oh, my God, we got to get over there right now. We got to call the cops. It was just like, that's weird. But I'm sure there's an explanation. Like, can you really be that scared about poop in the toilet? Maybe it got clogged. Maybe one of the girls thought that it had flushed. And they're like, why would that not flush? You know, and they didn't realize it's just weird. So when they get to her place, Amanda's so scared. She's like, what if some, what if someone's in there? OK, let's just go in. Hello. Is anyone in here? everything was quiet there was no signs of a struggle or ransacking they checked laura's room it's fine they opened Philomena's room and that is where they're shocked there is glass shattered everywhere clothes all over the bed the floor her cabinets were open oh my god oh my god somebody broke in somebody broke in but they noticed that Philomena's laptop and digital camera were sitting on her desk like just in plain view so if somebody broke in, why wouldn't they take her laptop? That's probably one of the most expensive things that like someone her age might own, like a college student or like a former college student. It's so strange. That doesn't make any sense. So just at that moment, Philomena calls. Hello? Oh my God, Philomena, somebody's been in your room. They smashed your window, but it's strange. It doesn't look like they take anything. Philomena says, okay, I'm coming home right now. And she hangs up. Okay. Okay. Well, Raphael, we got to look for Meredith. Meredith? Meredith, are you home? Maybe she spent the night at her boyfriend's house. Remember the guy downstairs or, or maybe one of the friends from the UK? So Amanda runs downstairs to see if the downstairs neighbors are home to see if maybe Meredith spent the night with her boyfriend there. So she's slamming on the door, but most of them had gone home for the holidays. November 1st is a big holiday. So Amanda runs back up, goes to Meredith's room. Meredith, are you in there? No answer. She knocks harder. She actually kind of tries to like open the handle and it was locked. This is weird. I mean, Meredith literally never locks a door, maybe when she's changing clothes, but that's it. She never locks it when she's in there doing her like studying. She never locks it when she's sleeping. It's never locked. So she starts banging on the door. Why isn't she answering me? Raphael, like do something. Maybe she fell asleep with like earbuds in i mean that doesn't make sense unless she was knocked unconscious there's no way that she couldn't hear them and wake up but also if she was gone from the house how could her door be locked i mean it's a bedroom door it's not like things that you can lock like your front door from the outside and she Mm -hmm. would never do that she's never done that so amanda gets low to the ground she tries to see under the gap of the door i can't see anything i'm gonna go outside and see if i can look through her window from the terrace She tries to climb over the railing and she could not get into a position without falling to see through the window because this is not a ground floor apartment. You know, Mm -hmm. they're on the top floor of this little villa. So Raphael tells her, get down, you're gonna fall. Like, I'll just kick her door down. So they run back inside. He kicks. It doesn't budge. He tries harder. Nothing. He kicks at the handle. Nothing. So Raphael decides, let's call the police. Well, first, actually, let's call my sister. Raphael's sister, Vanessa, she worked as a police officer in Rome. So he calls her. What do I do? What do you think I should do? I mean, obviously, this is not your jurisdiction, but, like, I need some advice. She advises him to call 112, which is essentially more like the federal police rather than the Perugian town police. So Mm -hmm. call them, like... I wouldn't say they're like the fbi but more so that versus your local town police Mm -hmm. department because they're going to be a little bit more sophisticated they're going to probably be a little bit nicer to you like local town departments are going to be like oh what are you so worried about she's probably drunk you know Mm. so call those people amanda suggested well it's probably going to take them a while way longer than the local police department so we should like wait outside i don't want to be inside and as she's grabbing her things to head out she glances in filomena's bathroom and the poop is gone you're kidding me she's like the poop is gone oh my god someone must have been hiding here when i was here the first time or maybe they came back after i left oh my god oh my god so they run out of the house and a man in jeans walks up to them Hi, I'm from the police. We're with the postal police. So this is the Department of Cyber Crimes. We wanted to talk to whoever lives here. Two cell phones were turned into us this morning. One is registered to a Philomena. Do you know her? Yeah, she's my roommate, but it's not her phone because I just talked to her. I've been trying to reach out to our other roommate, Meredith. She's not answering. Where did you find these phones? Maybe they're Meredith's phones because she has two phones. Can I see the phones? The cyber unit is like, uh, no, like we don't want to give you up all our cards. She's like, no, I swear it might be my roommate. So can I just give you the phone numbers and maybe you can try calling it. And if it rings, then we can at least confirm that it's my roommate's, Meredith's, you know. They hear two cars pull up and it was Philomena and three of her friends. While they were talking to this. The cyber crimes unit. So Philomena storms. Cyber crime unit is just one person? Two. So Philomena storms into her room. She's like, I don't care about the cyber crimes unit. Like, I need to see what happened in my room. And she's so confused. My room is a disaster. There's glass everywhere. There's a rock under the desk for some reason. So maybe someone threw the rock through the window to break it. But everything's there. I don't know what, if there's something missing. The postal police show the two found phones finally. And she says, oh, I'm Philomena. This one is registered to me, but it's actually Meredith's phone. So this is her Italian phone. And this is her British phone. She uses it to talk to her mom. And we later find out that the phone was Meredith's. And both were, um, they were found by a neighbor. So a neighbor wakes up in the morning and she hears ringing coming from her garden. And she's like, what the heck? That's so weird. So she goes out to her garden. and She's snooping around. And she sees these two phones. They were tossed over her fence into the garden. And the ringing was from Amanda calling. Now the police were content. Okay we'll make a report of a break-in and I guess the phones were stolen during the break-in and then they maybe they realized they don't want the phones or they were password protected. So they threw the phones in the neighbor's yard. Are you sure nothing else was stolen, guys? Uh, yeah. And Amanda says, but, but Meredith's door is still locked and I'm really worried. And Philomena, she hears that. She did not know this before. She says, her door is locked? What? And she starts screaming at the cops like, do something, her door is never locked. You better break down that door right now. They tell her, ma'am, we can't do that. It's not in our authority. We can't just go around knocking down doors because your roommate's not home yet. And everyone just starts screaming in Italian. Filomena's three friends are screaming at the cops. One of them just starts banging on the door in front of the cops, just kicking it down. Boom, boom. And on the third one, the door swings open and Filomena screams. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And in Italian, she screams a foot, a foot. Amanda could not see. She wasn't close enough, but she heard, Oh my God, so much blood. My God, blood, blood. Then she screams. Philomena is screaming in this hysterical, blood-curdling scream. Everything starts going in slow motion. The police jump up. Everybody out now. They call in for backup. Amanda's confused. Everybody's screaming in Italian. And she's like, what's going on? Somebody please just tell me what's going on. All she's picking up is someone saying a foot, a foot in the closet, a body, a body in the closet with a foot sticking out. Like that's what she's gathering and blood. What's going on? Philomena is too hysterical to answer questions. She just keeps screaming, Meredith, Meredith, my God, Meredith. They finally tell her that Philomena and the others saw a blue foot poking out of Meredith's blanket. Blood was splattered all over the walls and streaking on the floor. And Meredith was dead. Amanda was in shock. Philomena was in shock. But Amanda wasn't just in shock. She she wasn't crying. Amanda never cried in public. It just wasn't her. Her parents taught her that crying is for when you're alone. And she didn't understand this. It wasn't clicking in her head that Meredith was dead. Everybody else was crying because they saw the crime scene. Amanda was just outside in the hallway. Everybody goes berserk and they tell her Meredith's dead. So I think in her brain, she's like, that doesn't make any sense what what it's not like she's like this high-powered you know crazy person who has a ton of enemies like why would a random college student be dead like it's not clicking maybe it's somebody else so Raphael tries to comfort her she pushes her face into his chest because honestly they were so confused so he's kind of like got his arm around her and her face is like on his chest she's just trying to cope but this would later be used against her that the couple were cuddling at the crime scene (laughs) The police question Amanda. She says, I came home, I found the door open, Philomena's room was ransacked, nothing was stolen, and Meredith's door was locked. When Amanda was done talking to the police, she was sitting with Raphael again, and she was like, oh shit, I forgot to tell them about the poop. I don't even know how to say that in Italian. Can you please just explain to them what I told you? And he says, yeah, 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 I'll explain. So he finds a female officer and he describes what happened. So this is the head of homicide. So he's like, okay. so then she found the poop and blah, blah, blah. And she goes, you know, we're going to investigate this, right? I mean, yeah. And Amanda's like, yeah, that's why I'm telling you. So you can investigate it. Maybe it's like the poop of the killer. I, I don't know. That's why I'm telling you. And she goes inside. She comes out and she looks at Amanda, gives her the worst stare, just disgustingly looks at her and says, the poop is still in there. So I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, I guess I had glanced too quickly and I didn't realize the poop had like sunk to the bottom. But doesn't that still mean something that none of us would have pooped in the toilet without flushing it? Like maybe he didn't flush the toilet because they he heard like I was in the shower and thought that if he flushed the toilet, I would have heard. And then been like, oh, my God, somebody's home. But then nobody's home. Like, come on, do something about the poop. What if the poop is the killers? And the police look at her and say, you know, we're going to check out the blood in the bathroom, right? And Amanda was just so taken aback. She was like, what? Why are you talking to me as if that's my blood or something? Yeah, obviously, I told you all of these things so that you would investigate it. That's the whole point, no? She's just shocked. So around 3 p.m., everybody is told to meet the police at the the station. And this is actually when reality hits Amanda. She was sitting in one of Philomena's friend's cars, just hunched over, uncontrollably sobbing. Everyone had to like pat her on the back. She was hyperventilating. It was bad. So the police questioned Amanda first because technically she's the one that, you know, was first there to witness the scene. Nobody else was around. Maybe she had heard something. So for the first hour, they questioned Amanda in Italian. Now, I just want to say Amanda knows German. She knows a little bit of Japanese. She knows English, but she doesn't really know Italian. I can't even be questioned in Korean. And I was, you know, raised Trying to learn it as a second language. This is insane. What are you talking about? I think even in your primary language being questioned is incredibly scary. She's just so confused. And it took the police an hour to finally bring in an English-speaking detective. Then she was questioned for like another five hours. Amanda tried to give her... just every detailed information that she could they asked a ton of random questions like where did meredith party who was she seeing does she like the guys downstairs and she was like i don't know what this has anything to do with anything right listen anything can be a clue for us don't hold back even if it seems trivial or like the smallest detail it's all important for us you know you never know what the key is to finding the person that did this okay i mean i guess that makes sense so she went on and on and on and she just kept talking because she just wanted to help. Amanda had no idea that every detective watching the interrogation wanted her to go down for murder. They suspected her of killing Meredith, that it was an inside job. The burglary was faked, nothing was stolen. She was the only one home. How convenient. While she was being questioned, the police were bugging her and Raphael's phones. The police also did some very off-color things. Amanda still didn't believe that Meredith was dead, so she was in shock, and she kept asking, are you sure it was Meredith, though? Like, she was killed? The police sat there, and the detective nodded, almost in, like, a patronizing way, like, "Mm mm-hmm. And he used his finger to do the cutting motion on his neck. Like, sk. Her sl- her throat had been her throat had been slit and Amanda gasped and she shook her head and she had her head or like her head in her hands. And she just said, I can't believe it. And he kept nodding like, mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Once she gets out of the interrogation room, she's met with a ton of Meredith's other friends like her friends from the UK. And they keep asking, oh, my God, what happened? And in the police lobby, Amanda starts explaining to them what happened, except it wasn't necessarily true. So Amanda was picking up frantic screaming Italian and she had picked up body in the closet. So she had initially assumed uh, Meredith's body was in the closet. This is what she told all the other friends, but Meredith's body was actually in the bed. Laura, their other roommate showed up. She gave Amanda a big hug, but also warned her very discreetly. I know this is very serious, but you cannot under no matter what, no circumstances, tell the police that we are smoking weed in our house. Okay. Okay. I haven't yet and I won't. So even with this six hour interrogation it never occurred to amanda to call an attorney or even to go back to seattle to be around her support system honestly the latter would have been a great choice so after all this questioning everyone was fingerprinted and i think at this point amanda is going through the stages of grief she's getting pissed now she kept thinking how can this happen why Meredith? That she was a good person. Nobody hated her. This doesn't make any sense. Why would they break in and not take anything? How did they know that she was home alone? Why did it happen on a night where I wasn't there? Maybe if one of us was home, this would have prevented everything. And what about her mom? Her mom has health issues. What is going to happen to her mom when she finds out this news? She's getting pissed and Amanda was shaking and she She does this a lot ever since she was young. When she's super angry, she starts hitting her forehead with the heel of her palm. I think everybody has like a go-to response to trauma. Like some people will rock. Some people will self-soothe and like put their arms around themselves. You know, this was hers. It's a little bit more intense than maybe like a normal trauma response. But this was hers. She also kept saying no, no, no over and over again. And a police officer approached her. Amanda, you need to calm down. I, I just can't imagine who would do this. It just doesn't make sense to me. Well, we're going to try and find out and anything you can remember will only help us. So she stands up and she starts pacing back and forth. And one of Meredith's British friends said out loud, I hope she didn't suffer. And Amanda was pissed, not at the friend, but she was just confused. Like, why would you say that? Of course she did. How could she not have? She said, how could she not have? She got her fucking throat slit. Those fucking bastards talking about the killers. I mean, it makes sense. Something like that is just said to make the people that are still alive feel better. It's not necessarily the facts of the case. Maybe you're almost downplaying the murder, being like, I hope she didn't suffer. But it's like, no, we know the facts of the case. They did suffer. We need to find the killers. I mean, this is a very Mm -hmm. gruesome thing that happened. But it just, from the outside perspective, it looks strange. The whole scene was strange. Everybody was calm. They were self-contained. Yes, they were grieving. They were sobbing. But they were more silent. But Amanda was pacing. She was cursing. At moments, she was pissed. She went from showing no emotion outside the house to showing too much emotion. Raphael realized, oh crap, my girlfriend's about to have a full-on mental breakdown. So he had Amanda come sit on his lap. And he was kind of rocking her back and forth. Kind of pecking her on the cheek, making funny faces at her, trying to tell her jokes. He was trying to distract her, soothe her from her thoughts because... Yeah, is it a little inappropriate to do this at a police station when you're being interrogated as witnesses for a murder of one of your roommates? Yes, but also when you think of mental breakdowns, uh, sometimes this is the only thing that helps, Mm -hmm. and it worked. She did not have a mental breakdown, so she finally gets it together and she's like, you're right, I need to have my shit down so that I can help the cops. Like, I can't help them if I'm pacing back and forth and literally on the verge of, like, dying. So she doesn't know that she's being investigated got it no idea so she grabs her journal from her bag and she wants to be a writer she writes a lot so she starts just writing down random things in her mind like her stream of consciousness she wrote down about how unreal this felt she wished that one day she could write a song about Meredith's death as a personal tribute to her because amanda loved the guitar she found a lot of solace in music maybe it would help her channel her emotions i think the way that i see this is like Your brain is already trying to help you in ways and steps to recover from a trauma like this. Because I think without, you know, thinking about your own future, you're like, I'm gonna, what am I, I'm gonna be a shell of a human. This is so traumatic. And she also wrote something that was very off color, a bit of dark humor. She wrote, I'm starving and I'd really like to say that I could kill for a pizza, but it just doesn't seem right. She distracted herself and wrote in this journal for over an hour. She had no idea that this little action of trying to avoid a mental breakdown, every sentence, every page was going to be publicly scrutinized when she was on trial for murder. Meanwhile, Amanda's family are blowing up her phone. They're saying things like, listen, we thought it could the killer could have been watching your house for days and realized that Meredith was alone. That's why he struck. He might even know where Raphael lives. I mean, he might have even followed you. You have to be careful. Pay attention to everything around you, Amanda. Make sure you're never alone. Don't even go back home. Don't even be at Raphael's alone. And then they even asked her, should we buy you a ticket back home? We don't feel safe. Like you should just come back to Seattle right now. And Amanda told them, no, I have to help the police. I might remember something or maybe I can help in some way. Besides, this is the adult thing to do. Remember, no matter how much you want me home, I have to help Meredith. Like this is not a small thing that I can just run away from. I'm not 16 where my parents are just going to hide me. I need to see this through. If it were me, I would want justice and maybe I can help get justice for Meredith. But Amanda was terrified on the inside. She was putting on a brave front because I'm sure you do this with your family too. The minute that she shows weakness, her parents are like, that's it. We're buying you a ticket. That's it. No questions, if and or buts, right? So she's trying to be brave, but she was terrified So were her other roommates, don't get me wrong, but at least they were more familiar with the area. They had a support group in place. Amanda wasn't. She was so lost. All she had was Raphael and everything was so scary. Everything was in Italian. They're not even really questioning her in English. I mean, she's so confused. That night, she leaves the station, but Amanda and Raphael are told to come back tomorrow at 11 in the morning sharp. That night, Amanda only gets about two hours of sleep. She gets to the station the next day and immediately the police send Raphael home and they start questioning Amanda. They sit her down in front of an old computer monitor and they have her identify all of Meredith's Facebook pictures from that very Halloween. They're like, who's this person? Who's this person? And she's like, I don't know. First of all, you gave me a potato quality camera, like a potato quality computer screen. It's so grainy. It's so blurry, but everybody's wearing a mask and they have fake blood all over their faces and these aren't even people I grew up with. They're not childhood friends. I met them like a few weeks ago. Maybe I met this person once. And then Amanda was questioned over and over again in Italian. Do you ever smoke weed? No. They were getting pushier and a lot more aggressive than the day before. And under stress, Amanda remembered something her parents offered. Why don't you go stay with your aunt in Germany? Just recoup for a week. You know, get over the trauma. And then you can come back to Italy. So she says, can I... Can I go to can I go to Germany to be with my aunt, guys? Is that okay? What? No. You are not to leave Perugia. You're an important part of the investigation. Well, how how long do you guys think you need me? We don't know. Maybe months. What? Well, months? I I was planning on being in Seattle for Christmas with my family. Well, we'll let you know if you can do that. The officers wanted to drive her back to the villa to recreate the crime scene. And uh, she's in the back seat. And she admitted, maybe to herself, maybe to the officer. She said, I'm completely exhausted. And the driver, the officer, whipped around and said, Do you think we're not tired? We're working 24-7 to solve this crime. You need to stop complaining. Do you not care that someone just murdered your best friend? Oh, my God. So she didn't say anything, but she felt like, Wait, that's not what I meant. Like, she's th- she doesn't even know how to communicate this in Italian. But what she wants to say is, wait, sorry, that's not what I meant. Like, I just, I wasn't saying, like, I'm exhausted of helping you guys. Like, I'm just, I'm just tired. Like, you know, like, what? Yeah. so they ask her question after question about the state of the crime scene when she gets to the villa and this is like re-traumatizing right Mm -hmm. there were a ton of press outside trying to snap pictures they eventually led amanda to the basement into the guy's loft and the door was smashed and she's she's screaming oh my god they were burglarized too are they okay or is one of them dead no we did that ourselves they're fine here put these on these are protective covers for your shoes so that the glass shards don't go through them and we're trying to not contaminate the crime scene So she slips them on and while she's doing it, she's kind of thinking, "Okay, well, this is my chance to prove to them that I want to help because in the car, maybe they got the wrong idea that I am lazy and I don't want to help this investigation. So she puts on the slippers and she gets up and she weakly puts her arms like up next to her, like above her head and goes, ta-da. As you know, like you put on your shoes Mm -hmm. and you go, ta-da. And uh, they did not like that. Will I say that it's a little bit weird? Yes. Will I say that I would be a little bit off put by something like this? Yes. But would I immediately say, ah, she's the killer. We don't even need forensic evidence. We don't even need to do our job. She's just so weird. She's the killer. No. And a lot of people on Reddit say this is a true situation of where someone is literally just a bit quirky Mm -hmm. and the investigation cannot handle it. They just cannot. So they take her to one of the guys' rooms first, and the comforter on the bed was crumbled up and had blood everywhere. So she screams, oh my god, oh my god. And the police open the closet, and there's a thriving collection of marijuana plants. Does this look familiar? Um, no. So next, they go into the other two guys' rooms, which one of them was the guy that Meredith was seeing at the time. Do you know that Meredith was seeing this guy? Yes. Well, what about Meredith's sex life? Did she like anal sex? Did she use Vaseline? And she's like, what? what? This, is, this is so crazy. Why are you asking me stuff like this? We don't really talk about stuff like that. How would I know? She had no idea yet that Meredith had been raped before she was killed. Amanda is taken back to the police station to be questioned. She was finally able to go at 7 p.m. So like full eight hours. And she was drained of life. Her phone rings and her aunt from Germany says, I need you to contact the American embassy. Get a lawyer. I think you need to leave Perugia immediately. And right as this phone conversation is ending, she sees the guy from downstairs entering the police station, the guy roommates, all of them. And she knew that this was a bad idea, but she just couldn't help herself because, you know, the killer's still out there. There's still danger. So she says, hey, I was at your apartment today and you should know that your blanket had blood on it. It made me wonder if Meredith was down there before she died. This is just awful. So Amanda's thinking, these guys were not home. So when they came back, it was already taped off as a crime scene. So these guys have no idea what happened in their house. That's what she's thinking. Okay. So she's letting them know, there was blood in your apartment. Like, maybe Meredith was down there, and then the killer dragged her upstairs. Like, she's yeah. letting them know, like, be safe, you know, because yeah. the killer might have been in your apartment, too. But they just say, yeah, that was my cat's blood, not Meredith. And she just thought that was what? weird. She was like, what? What? But regardless, Raphael drives up and he's honking. So she's like, "Okay, well, got to go. She gets into the car and they decide to blow off steam by going shopping. Not necessarily retail therapy. Trust, they're not going to the house of Gucci and buying crazy things. She couldn't get most of her clothes because they're in the crime scene. She Mm. had no underwear. She was wearing Raphael's clothes for most of this. Like she was borrowing his sweatpants. She had no undies. So one of the places that they stopped by was a nicer lingerie store. And um, she buys a pair of red cotton bikini briefs. And cotton bikini briefs are like literally undies. They're not like thongs, which honestly thongs are really comfortable too. But they're just like regular undies just Mm -hmm. in the color red. While checking out, Raphael was comforting her, hugging her, kissing her. Later, the press would say, Raphael took her to buy a skimpy, saucy G-string and he announced to the workers, I'm going to take her home so we can have wild sex together. Can you believe it? A day after her roommate was viciously murdered. This is when Amanda's mom calls and says, Okay, if you're not coming to Seattle, I can take a couple days off and I'm going to go to Italy because I need to be with you. You're my daughter. I need to at least comfort you and we got to sort this out. So that afternoon, Amanda meets up with Laura and Philomena, and they were talking about who they thought Meredith, you know, was killed by. What Amanda didn't know was that these two girls had already contacted lawyers. They were told how to handle the case going forward. I don't know if they thought and assumed Amanda had lawyered up, or maybe their lawyer advised them against saying that they have lawyers. I don't know. Finally, the third day of the investigation rolls around, and Amanda was oblivious to the fact that all fingers were pointing at Amanda. This entire case was going crazy in the UK because think about it. I mean and a, a British exchange student dies in a place like Italy where a lot of, you know, other students probably want to visit. It sounds like heaven. It sounds like this magical place, and they're, they're wild. It's crazy. What are the Italian police going to do? She's a British citizen. We need to get justice, blah, 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 blah. And articles were published saying that the police are investigating the killer to be a woman, someone that Meredith was close with, and they're even questioning her female roommates as well as her friends. Without knowing any of this, Amanda gets called to the police station again. Raphael was not. So Raphael stopped by in the middle of the day because she has been spending like all day in the police station. And he stopped by and said, hey, can Amanda leave now? Like I want to take her out for lunch. No. Okay, can I at least see her for a second? So they let them talk in one of the interrogation rooms that was being recorded. And uh, they didn't talk about much, but he did kiss her. And this was kind of his way of comforting her. And right then, the head of the investigation passes by and says, what are you guys doing right now? It's completely inappropriate. You need to stop this instant. And Amanda was so shocked. This is a quote from her book. It's not like we are making out. What could she think is possibly improper about a few tender hugs and kisses? Raphael was being compassionate, not passionate. He was giving me the reassurance that I needed and we were offending her. So Raphael leaves the station, and Laura and Philomena join Amanda. They're all escorted to the house again, and Amanda is asked a series of bizarre questions. They show her Philomena's room, which is still a mess, like glass everywhere, windows still broken, and they ask her, is this exactly how you found it? I don't know. I mean, it was a mess then. It's still a mess now. I know that Philomena went through it before it was taped off as a crime scene, but I don't know. Can I say I don't know? No. Is this exactly how you found it? Were these clothes in this exact order? Did nothing move? I don't know. How would I know? Like, I know that certain things didn't move, like the laptop and those things are still... I don't know. How would you know? Like, this is crazy. Like, if I Mm -hmm. say yes and something was taken or moved that is so trivial that I didn't see, then I don't want to be held liable for that. I don't know. Well, what about in the kitchen? Uh, I guess it looks like nothing's taken. Okay, well, open that bottom drawer. Are you sure there's no knives missing? Look, look harder. So she kind of moves a knife. So they're kind of like jumbled up in there. She picks a couple up and she goes, I don't really know how to answer this question. I don't really cook and I don't know what knives they had. I don't know if this is the question to ask me. I don't know. And the pressure was too much. She starts to cry. And they just kind of look at her with disdain. The only comfort for Amanda that night when she left the police station was that her mom was coming to soon be with her. And her aunt called again saying, you need to call the American embassy in Rome. Fill them in on what's happening. It's good for you to have a record of these things. And Amanda did not get it. She said, there's no point. I'm innocent. Innocent people don't need that. And a record of what? Like the police keep records of these things. What do I need? What do I call them? I'm an American and my friend died. Like that's that's weird. And innocent people don't do that. Like that sounds shady. The next day, day four of the investigation, Meredith's autopsy report was released and it was all over the British tabloids. She had been stabbed to death with a pocket knife. She struggled. There was potential evidence of rape and a bloody handprint on the wall. A bloody shoe print on the floor were the leading clues right now, as well as a blood soaked handkerchief lying on the street nearby. Just as if someone was like the handkerchief. Just they tossed it. So out of everyone, in all of these articles, the only other name that kept being mentioned by name other than Meredith was Amanda Knox, the American. Amanda Knox, the American roommate. Amanda Knox, the fellow exchange student. Amanda Knox knew none of this. So that night, there was going to be a candlelight memorial service for Meredith. And Amanda was nervous. So in class, she had tried to go back to class. And everyone just kept asking her about the investigation. And she knew she's not allowed to talk about it. So she felt really stressed. Like, guys, don't. can you stop asking me? Like, I don't know, okay? We're just all trying to work with the police. So she felt that if she went to this memorial service everyone would ask her and she didn't want to jeopardize the case and she also felt like what if the killer comes to the memorial service like that sounds like something a crazy killer would do so Raphael said I have somewhere to be like I can't go I have something for my own school stuff so she makes the choice I can't go alone I didn't even know how I could go in the first place she ends up staying home very bad idea This is a very, very bad idea that she does not go to the memorial service. That night around 9 p.m. after the service is done, after Raphael gets back, they're eating dinner and he gets a call. The police want him to come to the station immediately. And he says, we were just eating dinner. Would you mind if I finished first? Bad. Bad bad idea very bad idea now amanda was too scared to be home alone so she went to the station with raphael but the police told her she couldn't come inside she has to wait in the car and she says but i'm scared to be in the dark right and it just seems like the police is setting this all up like they know that she's terrified to be home alone they call raphael asking him to come to the station they tell her no you gotta be in the car so she begs them can i just be in the waiting room so they give her a chair and while she's sitting there she starts kind of studying filling up her time and an officer comes up and says can i just catch really ask you some questions while you're here okay but i've already told you guys everything that i know i don't know what else to say well why don't you start with the people that have been in your house especially men let's talk about it who has been in your house that's a male uh sure i mean i guess the guys that i've mentioned yeah the roommates maybe some guys maybe some of the boyfriends oh and there was this guy i don't remember his name but he plays basketball with the guys downstairs we met him once at the plaza And we walked to the villa together and we had put our purses up before we went downstairs to meet up with them. And that's about it. Like, that's it. God, I'm just feeling a little stiff. So Amanda felt super stiff. So she gets up and she starts to stretch a little bit. She's touching her toes and the officer says, you seem really flexible. Yeah, I used to do a lot of yoga. Oh, really? Can you show me something? What else can you do? And in the middle of the police waiting room, Amanda does a split. And in that moment, the head of homicide walks out and says, what are you doing? "Uh, Waiting. And the officer says, sorry, I was just asking her a few questions. Well, if that's the case, we need to put it on record. Follow me. Amanda was taken into another interrogation room. And that night, three people would be arrested for the murder of Meredith Kircher. And that night, Amanda would be taken to prison, where she would spend the first of 1,427 nights in prison for the murder of Meredith Kircher. But that is going to be it for part one of the Amanda Knox story. Um, this case is really long. There's so much that happens during the trial, and even just the way that the press handled this situation, this is By far one of the craziest, well-known cases of did she do it? Why was she arrested? What the fork happened? Why are people saying these things about her? And they would turn every little picture, every little thing into such a big, out of proportion type of explanation. It gets wild. So I hope you guys enjoyed this main episode. And I will see you guys on Sunday for the mini-sode where we will finish this case. Bye.